I chose this life. And someday, it's going to get me killed. But not today. Lorraine Broughton, expert in intelligence collection and hand-to-hand -hand combat. Agent Gascoigne was killed last night. Did you know him? Enough to say hello. He had an atomic bomb of information. Find out who's hunting our operatives and trust no one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kautzer. And this week, uh, we are still within the throes of our uh, month-long ongoing series about uh, badass women in cinema. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, director Elaine May and two of her films, and we're actually closing out the series uh, with a huge bang, at least in my opinion. Uh, we're looking at badass women spies. And the first movie we're looking at is Atomic. Blonde. And to help me talk about Atomic Blonde, I decided to uh, bring on a special guest. Uh, I've been talking a little bit about the fact that we're bringing on a new writer on the movie aisle, and I felt that it would be a great um, introduction to her to actually have you guys actually hear her talk uh, before you read her writing. And uh, that is Olivia Mole. Um, how are you doing today, Olivia? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm glad that you've officially joined the team with your first project with uh, co-hosting on this episode of the podcast. It's kind of. It's very exciting for me to yeah. always bring on a new writer. Um, so uh, what I like to usually do in these instances where we're, you know, the uh, my audience is meeting you for the first time, our, our listeners are listening to uh, like um, in being introduced to you for the first time. It's just uh, like a little bit about you. Um, I know that you'll probably end up uh, at a certain point talking a little bit more about yourself um, with uh, on the site, but um, why don't you talk to our listeners about um, how you, uh, like how you came into film and being, um, becoming a writer uh, as you have, like where did that all start? Um, let's see. It began, I would say, I've always been, uh, one of the creative and artistic kids. I feel like if I was in any clique in high school or any 80s John Hughes movies, I would have been the art kid. <laughs> um, I always enjoy creativity and open-minded and just being able to write and express oneself. So when I, uh, was in high school, middle school, I fell naturally into the theater crowd, into the film crowd, into the art crowd, and... Um, it wasn't until I saw, believe it or not, Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards that I immediately watched that movie, and I just thought, I want to do something with that. I like that. What are films? What more can I learn about them? What more can I, can I write about them? Sure, why not? What's stopping me? So um, pretty much after I saw that in 2009, I believe, I um, went out, actually bought my first little terrible but adorable handheld camera, and I swore I was going to, you know, take on the world of film, and afterwards, I kind of dabbled in journalism and when I was starting one of my degrees, and then I finished in a degree in film, and I've continued to write and study and 
basically make short films and dabble a little bit in everything, but writing was the, uh, the strong suit. I feel like it. I'm a better writer than I am a speaker, so we'll see how this podcast goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think that you'll find eventually that, at least for me, it, 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 it used to be like that. Like, I used to feel yeah. like that, but I feel like, like they, they're both one and the same. Like, yeah. It, it, if you have if you have the if you have the writing bug event like you know you're you're a wordsmith that you eventually just it it's just a naturally evolving um step with uh within like learning learning to be a critic i i just i don't know where where it comes from but like that it might just snap one day honestly like snap right into place and then it'll just be stuck so yes i totally <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and you kind of touched upon something uh, that I I'm always curious about, which is uh, what is the first movie that really caught you and grabbed you by the oh, like yeah. grab you by the proverbial throat in uh, Inglorious Bastards is like a great movie too, uh, and it's definitely one of them. That The Nightmare Before Christmas, I love Tim Burton. I love, although it's controversial at this point, I do respect Tarantino. Um, I Scorsese and Ridley Scott, like all of them. Like I was always intrigued by those gritty directors. And so like I have a ton of films, but Inglorious Inglorious Bastards was totally the one that probably snapped me into place. Absolutely. And it is it is a little problematic nowadays um in our in our current um yeah. film landscape, but um I feel like you can look at the films and devoid your like to me it's like there's certain people that I can devoid myself from things yeah. if it's I hate saying if it's not too terrible like I can just go okay that's the film and this is the person and I can't I can separate them but and there are just I, there there are those go ahead again, I, no go ahead no 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 what were you gonna say I I, I truly I wanted to hear say, I think a lot of people are like that with Woody Allen's work yeah. It's very hard to like him, very hard to even think about him, but Midnight in Paris, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I um, mean, I have to admit it. I mean, Annie Hall, Manhattan. I mean, Manhattan oh. is literally what he, like, it's like this weird meta commentary on him. And it's the quintessential city symphony love letter. Exactly. No, absolutely. And, I mean, Annie Hall is the is the reference point for many a romantic comedy. I mean, it is the it's the gold standard. I mean, you have and but at the same time, it's like this guy like and it's just it's very problematic. So, I mean, we've got like you said, we've kind of gotten in like, you know, it, it, we've gotten into this era of like, how do you do you can you devoid yourself from the art and the artist? Um yes. And it's so difficult sometimes. I mean, you know, you're just thankful that some of these people that the the films that you watch are um, that there that that there is no there is no issue there. Like, you know, that that yeah. it's just literally like, oh, okay, they're actually a halfway decent person that I haven't heard anything horrible about. So, uh, and Dave but, Leach is possibly one of them. Yes, yes. Blonde. He has, a, and he also has a very interesting background, which I did a little like looking into. Pretty mm -hmm. impressive guy. Oh, very impressive. Um, why don't we actually uh, like really just get into the meat of it if you're if you're ready to if you're ready to talk about Atomic Blonde? Sure, I I'm ready if you are. Absolutely. Okay, so 
Um, as many people will know and have already seen this movie, Atomic Blonde is a uh, is an action spy thriller that's set in the cold in the midst of the Cold War, the ending of the Cold War, and uh, stars Charlize Theron as an agent. I will say no more than that. Uh, uh, an, I think that's spy- the only way you can really describe her at the end. She's yes. just an agent. Yeah. She's an agent for what? Chaos, disruption, maybe, possibly. I don't want to really ruin too much about the movie if you have not seen it, but she yeah. plays Lorraine Brighton, who is basically the female analogous to a James Bond type of super spy. And uh, the film is about her going into Berlin at the end, at the waning days of. Uh, the Eastern Bloc as the wall is literally crumbling she is tasked to find um, to essentially find a list I mean like a very it's a very cliched to me it's a very cliched story like you know I mean we've seen this this like you know list of agents and their aliases and if they get out everybody in the like everybody's everybody's cover is going to be blown and assassinated we've seen some obscure item like a ring or a piece of jewelry or just a small object and you have to keep track of it and yes yes absolutely and that is where I think that the framework helps it being a cliche because this film is such a, it's such a like, it's to me, it's like a sledgehammer. It just comes in and it just starts taking all of that and just taking a hammer to it. Like it's just a big sledgehammer and just doing whatever it feels like at a certain point. And I kind of love that about the film that it, it, it takes this, this, uh, this starting point. And then at a certain point it just goes in the best way possible, at least in my in my point of view, that it goes off the rails in the best way, and it it allows for like I mean, of course, this is like you know, there's always been comparisons to John Wick because he was um, because he's one half of the directing producing team that created the original John Wick, yeah. and but it's done with so much. It's done with a different flair and a different style than John Wick. I feel like John Wick has its style, and I think I mean to me at least, and maybe I uh, I would love to hear your opinion about it. Atomic Blonde is a different attitude and style than John Wick is. I feel like it's because in John Wick, um, it's been a little while and I've seen a few movies since John Wick. So I'm still a little unclear about the plot necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. can't remember too much of it, but I feel like with atomic blonde, they tend to really drive a lead. I feel like there's a little bit of farce with John Wick just because the dog is the center of it, although I mm-hmm. highly respect that. I mean, I would, in the same shoes, by all means, go after the people who, you know, took something from me that I love that much. However, I feel like Atomic Blonde just has, like, a different kind of goal, if that makes any sense. A different kind of revenge to it. Not necessarily something different as a female lead character revenge of a loved one or, you know, someone that she loved and just basically loved and lost, but... It seems a little more elevated in that way. I don't know if that makes sense. If you can agree or not with that. No, I or definitely. I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I definitely can can see where you're where like what you're talking about, and I think that's where that's where my point lies, which is um, that 
it's even though people have compared the two, I feel yeah. like I feel like John Wick it, like you were saying, it's like within the revenge and what ultimately the 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 both of these films are about. And what I find is is that John Wick, even though it's it's elegantly shot, it's still rough around the edges, very rough around the edges. Where as Atomic Blonde feels like sophisticated it's, a little bit, exactly. It, it, like um, I was I was telling somebody a couple of days ago that. Um, when I was texting them uh, because I was watching the movie and um, I just mentioned I was watching it and they were talking about John Wick and I was like, you know, John Wick is kind of like, John Wick is like a mosh pit. Like that's the the best way I can describe it in the best yeah. way possible. It's a mosh pit. Where, that is where a is description. It? That is, I, I <laughs> agree with that. Yes. And Atomic Blonde is ballet. And it's, yeah. and it's, it, it's and it, and it doesn't, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that uh, you have somebody like Keanu Reeves who's a little bit more forceful and a little bit less uh, – he's a, less, a little less articulate with his physicality, um, especially in that in, in those two movies. Whereas Charlize Theron, it, it feels like she has complete control over her body and yeah. her movements and there's an elegance and a grace to everything she does in this movie. Um, so that's what I was thinking because like I just – the whole staircase scene, which I won't mm -hmm. go into for those who have not seen it, but you know what I mean when I say the staircase scene. Y yes. It's choreographed in such a way that it – like you said, it's clean – it's badass, but it's so there's what I found interesting when we were talking about how she's like James Bond, the female James Bond and James Bond. He's a little more clean in his kills, so to speak. So is she. And I feel like that might just come with. I don't know if it comes with the fact that she is this incredibly gorgeous, sophisticated, well-trained woman compared to a sophisticated well-trained man where aggression comes out differently oh it definitely does like uh, yes. uh what well, like what i what i find uh, and the part of the reason why i chose this film was because of the the gender politics and how much it's played against type um yeah. with with the way that things are the the way that like her and her world is presented um, and how she interacts within that world, which is, it's a very similar way to the, like, and again, I, I can understand why so many people like were, were drawing the comparisons to John Wick because it, it's very much from like the, the Hong Kong, um, uh, Asian martial arts kind of, uh, perspective That's and dictum. Like 90s. Exactly. Where, the emotions are there, but they're shown in the fights and the fights are yeah. a part of the story and they tell something emotionally very much so like a dance and, yeah. but they're doing it for different purposes. Like they're completely different purposes with, with atomic blonde where atomic blonde is more about, um, I, I feel like oftentimes it's, it's this duel between, uh, Lorraine and Percival, uh, played by James McAvoy. And, uh, this this particular dance that they're playing where he feels it feels like that's where the gender politics start, which is very interesting to me because it always seems like he feels like he's one step ahead, like he feels that he's one step ahead, yeah. um, almost like a commentary on on the way that men approach women, which is that that certain men of a certain type are like, 
always think that they're better than a woman, which this movie at the end of it all proves that that's just not the case. And in point in fact that she, she bests them all um, because not just because of them underestimating her, but because at, at its core, she is like the film recognizes and accepts and shows you that she is the best spy in the entire world by the end. Yes. Um, do you feel like uh, I, I'm, I'm curious because I mean, I've been talking a lot about uh, with the with this series. I've been talking a lot about about gender politics, and um, it's to me. I find it interesting that that she like Charlize Theron not only like stars in this produced it. I mean, and at forty, I think it was forty three at the time, decided to go into the most intensive fighting training that she, that that she ever had been through and possibly one of the the hardest uh, trainings that a, a woman had ever been through um to make this film and it feels like more than anything and I don't know like and, and this is where I want I was wondering about how you feel like when I watch Atomic Blonde this is like Charlize Theron the movie like like it yeah. may have been directed by David Littich who's gone on to like, you know, literally this year is had a huge hit in Deadpool two, but ultimately like, I was wondering, do you feel like it's more her movie from beginning to end? I would say yes. I feel that it, I think because I remember doing a little bit of research into the film and how long it took to produce, how long training took. And from what I understand, it was about five years of, physical training for Charlize. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I understand at the same time, you know, she had Mad Max Fury Road going on. She had little side projects. She was doing a little bit of everything at the same time. So yes, I do nothing but commend her for one, taking on all of that. And then two, doing so. And in such a way where the, her character Furiosa is, I feel in its own way similar, but very different from Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And yet you, you would not think, first of all, that those were done around the same time. She clearly is a skilled actress who not only devotes to the part, but can switch. That being said, I would definitely say, I feel also it's not just her gender or her age that make made it really stand out as this being her film as much as, it's just, like you said, it's just her. Like, I feel like watching this, I don't see any sign of any choreography. Like, I don't see any sign of her in it. Like, I don't go, that's Lorraine. Like, I remember, like, referring to it when I was watching it with my dad after we went and saw it in the movie theater. I'm, like, talking Lorraine, like, Lorraine is this person. Like, that's Lorraine up on the screen. And she's, like, a. there is no Charlize. So, like, it was, I think it just her organicness to it. Like she took it on. If that answers your question, I feel like I just kind of rambled there for a few seconds, but I definitely see what you mean where it's like a naturalness to it. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. You were straight on like exactly what I was, uh, what, what I was getting at. And yet you weren't rambling. <laughs> you were, you were definitely yeah, making a point. Stop <laughs> me if I do, because I know I will. No, it's okay. Like tangents are welcome, are definitely welcome on the podcast. Um, it's, it's definitely like that's that kind of what I was getting to, which is is that um, it is 
it's one of those things where I look at there are moments in a, in an actor's career that's an apex. Like it's yeah. it's like a moment. It's a moment where like mind, body, and soul for the actor line up for something in a part or like in a series of parts, and it feels like. Charlize Theron, even after the Oscar, didn't hit that apex yet. And I feel like starting with Fury Road, she kind of hit this. She's starting to delineate herself and kind of becoming this like it's like making this this straight line and an apex of where she knows exactly who she is as as an actress and as a performer, not just a physical one, but one that can draw emotion and can draw a character and her choices to me seem like that of somebody who is just hitting their prime and it feels like atomic blonde was is like at that apex exactly and like moving forward it's just going to be like there's going to be this series like of maybe uh, you know five to ten years where she's just going to she's going to own the screen in which i feel like is a very interesting thing is that she's going to own the screen the way that um, some of her younger counterparts have been pushed upon us, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like make an issue of other other female uh, female actresses or actresses. It's just it feels more organic with Charlize Theron. Like like she she's pushed through to this point of of it's like age doesn't matter with her. Um, the roles that she takes are like this thing of like I want to see her in these movies because she's in it. Yes. And, and I I was wondering, do you feel like the same way because I feel like there's this time clock on actresses and as soon as they hit 40, it becomes this thing where they become moving targets. Um and it's really kind of crappy and shitty that that Hollywood does this, but she's managed to dodge that and still able to pull in these these roles that don't discount her and don't make her into quote-unquote mom well that's what i was thinking because like the thing about lorraine's character you really cannot guess how old she is you know she's experienced but you don't know if she's in her late 30s or if she's even older than that for me Mm -hmm. what i think is interesting about this apex that charlize is part of now is that that it is. She's in her 40s and she's approaching her 50s within the next few years. And yet now she's hitting this prime time of her life. And I think that is beautiful because, like you said, a lot of times when women, actresses, even the ones with most diverse careers or typecast careers, hit a certain mark, say, for instance, I feel like Melissa McCarthy might be one of them. They become the mom figure or the aunt or the teacher or the the more feminine roles that we're used to seeing in film history that although are not bad, aren't always exactly the most authentic or the most fairly represented. And so to see someone who kind of just, despite age, despite, I mean, she's absolutely fit, that is for sure, but despite physicality taking on such a, such a role either in Furio- as Furiosa or Lorraine, I think it is, I think that's one of the things that appealed to me about the movie because it's like, I know she's not necessarily a younger actress taking on this, say, like, if Jennifer Lawrence did it or um, who else? Uh, even, I don't know, someone taking on a role in a comedic sense like Anna Kendrick. 
but because they're in their 20s and 30s. But you have Charlize, who's in her 40s and who will be soon approaching 50. And look at her. I mean, it's it gives hope. I think that that authenticity that we're really looking for in film and television these days, whether it's based on gender, heritage, uh, sexual orientation, religion, it's almost being answered. It's slow, but it's being answered. And I respect that not only as a woman, as a woman in my 20s, I respect that as anyone who is working towards something and may not find their apex in their 20s, but still has then hope for their 30s, their 40s, their 50s and onward, especially um, if it's high pace, such as the film industry, the writing industry, um, just like action films are for certain actresses. So I, I think it's absolutely motivating and empowering, even if it's just the first of, not maybe the first, but just baby steps at this point. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm, uh, it's, it is, it's very interesting because you, you like you said, it's, it, it feels like baby steps because I think in a lot of ways she's, she's creating her own content, like as yeah. a producer, which like, like I'm always like, like, uh, I, I always kind of like raise an eyebrow, especially with like actors producing credits, because you can always tell the ones that are serious and the ones that aren't. And she happens to be one, like they, she seems like one that is serious because uh, she executive produced, uh, mine hunters with yeah. uh fincher and i mean to me that like is the key there if um uh, i've heard enough stories both like you know uh both from people that i know in the industry and, and just reading stuff and researching to know that david fincher doesn't suffer any fools so yeah. if you're it, like he's talked about like producers in name only and he doesn't stand for it anymore and he's gotten to the point in position of power where if you're not contributing he's just going to find a way to take you off of that list permanently and she's on that in both seasons of of Mindhunters, from what I can tell, so ultimately, she's like, and to me, she's it feels exactly, exactly. She's and a businesswoman, she knows the field from both sides, which is valuable. I feel like actors who can should get involved um, in produce. It's like people, like I remember telling people in theater. Um, you can tell a lot about an actor who's also been tech based on how they respect the people behind the scenes. I feel like if you have a good amount of experience and appreciation for something, as well as intelligence, you're a triple threat. And I feel like she definitely is one. Oh, definitely. I, I, I'm like, she of, of actresses right now, she's like in my top two or three of favorite actresses. Yeah. Um, be and she's no fool. She's obviously no one's fool. No, and the the thing that like always genuinely shocks me, the thing that like keeps me always like thinking about it is how how aware she is. Like I like it when a when a when an actor is aware of their career and makes moves in their career that reflects that. Yeah. Like like she is one that is very much aware of who she is as an actress and what she needs to do. Um and taking atomic blonde but then following it up with tully which i don't know if you've seen but it's i i love her performance in it but it's this thing that i just i'm not a i'm not a huge um i've come to realize that i am not a huge um oh gosh what's his name um right jason reitman fan i love diablo cody but i'm just really not a uh, i'm really not a jason reitman fan um you can take it out, yeah Exactly. Like, uh, but Tully, like her and Tully, it's uh, 
the like where she went from from Atomic Blonde to Tully is like to me is like the same kind of thing where like you know you you have somebody like uh, De Niro in his prime in the eighties when he would do something like uh, he would do something like Raging Bull and then follow it up with uh, something like New York New York which is a completely different performance and yeah. It, within the same person, I can still see Charlize Theron because she's a star, but she manages to sculpt a performance that to me is ultimately like to me, that's ultimately what I find so intriguing about her. Like and then also she did. Um, I saw the there's a there's another movie that she did this year um, called Gringo with David Oelio, uh, which I is do kind- want to see that. Yes. It's like she is great in it. She plays this icy cold femme fatale that has like she gets all the best lines in the movie. Like just literally she that. is she is like like she's like it's definitely you can tell it's like this de- this definite homage to like the Sharon Stone Ice Queen of the 90s, like the basic instinct um kind of like just superior. I'm going to look down everybody at everybody because I am the best. It's great. It's a great comic, uh, comic performance, and it's not comic in the way that it, it's funny. It's just that she is so icy, and her barbs just come out like they're just like martinis. They're just ice cold and just just dry. I love as that description. Hell. That was great. I love that description. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, she's like, I've been trying to look for a way to talk about her a little bit more in my conversation because she's one of my favorite actresses. Like I did cover uh, Fury Road um, last year uh, for uh, an apocalypse series. And but I mean, she's always genuinely intrigued me because initially in her early career, she was definitely an actress that was that was a face like they just yeah. they casted her for her looks but it's it's very interesting how she really really like pushed herself beyond that and really proved like to me i mean without a doubt that she's she is a great actress and i think that it's almost like like you would want like it's almost like if she had if at the beginning of her career she had like a unique look rather than just a stark, beautiful supermodel look. This this woman would have won like four Oscars by the time she was by by her age right now. Oh, absolutely! I totally agree with you one hundred percent. You know, and it, it's it, that's what's the saddest part to me in regards to like in regards to certain careers like hers is that like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Like like uh, Charlize Theron suffers from like you know being too beautiful being a supermodel so she couldn't get the roles that she wanted so what did she do she made herself as ugly as humanly possible oh yeah and i mean like so it's like like even her on the other side of the spectrum it's like like you brought up melissa mccarthy who i find is a extremely talented woman actress writer but she's been pigeonholed into these roles that she's had and yeah. she like, plays them well, but I feel like, like I I loved her in Loving Vincent. Uh, was it Loving Vincent or Saint Vincent? Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent. Yes. I loved her in that because it was both. It was the touch of Melissa McCarthy, where everyone finds her humorous, but it was a dark humor and it was an emotional humor in it. 
Um, I don't know if you saw and know, obviously know the ending, but like, it's a really like tender story from her point of view of how her life is going. So like, I, that's why I think I love that movie. So, among other reasons why I love that movie so much for her performance in that, because although we were expecting, you know, like identity theft, Melissa McCarthy, we got this Gilmore girls, but more so from her. And I think that, it's it's almost a shame to say because it's like, oh, she had one great dramatic performance, but yeah, we're going to keep going to the comedy ones when we think of her first. I And I feel like a lot of actors, and totally many actresses, um, go through that, and yeah. it's very unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, and then to, to make it the point even more is that I recently saw Melissa McCarthy, and she's lost a ton of weight, and yeah. it's like... And, and it's like, I'm happy for her, but at the same time, it's like, like, you almost, you almost kind of like think about it and you go like the instant I see it, I'm cynical about it because I'm like, she's doing it because she knows that she's at the threshold and she needs to change it up. Like if she wants to do something different, they're going to have, like, she's going to have to do something different and, or she's going to have to change it up rather than them just like believing in Melissa McCarthy and what she can do because you watch those roles and yes, she's funny and she's great, but at at their core, like Spy to me is like one of the funny, like it was actually a movie I thought about putting with this one just because it was such a complete opposite movie. Yes. I, I, I invariably cited on Hannah because I wanted, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about um, Cersei Ronan just because I really wanted to talk about <laughs> this like really odd action movie she did. But at its core, Spy is like is there. There's a genuine performance there, and like Melissa McCarthy, like you were saying, like like with Saint Vincent, like like playing this single, this put upon single mother. It it there is like you can see it, and you go, okay, that is what I really want from Melissa McCarthy. I want those kinds of roles, not this, not this. Okay, I'm gonna fall down because I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm you know a little overweight and I'm klutzy or I'm a slob and I'm gonna make all of these really rude jokes. I mean, yeah, or that was I'm great. Fun mom, you know, like in her most recent film, just going back to college and like it's oh ha 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 kind of yeah, like I yes, it's like. Like, and this is where, it, like, the gender politics come up. It's like, you know, you can have, you can have John Cena, who I, I love John Cena. Like, as a personality, I really like him. But you can have John Cena go from wrestler to action, action guy, B-movie action guy, to actual comedy and, like, genuine performance. But you won't let Melissa McCarthy do something similar. Like, and that's where in lies. Exactly. The Rock, Yes. I mean, you can have now, mind you, The Rock now is kind of put himself in a corner because every single movie just seems to be the same story, just told with different monsters and and different yeah. and different things. To, like, I mean, you know, it's like ultimately it's a video game starring The Rock, but you are correct. It's like like The Rock was allowed to transition into that role and he's made that for himself. It's not like he was forced in this to this position. I mean, he could have he could have kept on doing interesting stuff, but he decided he wanted to be Arnold 2.0. Yeah, but, and I wonder back to the gender thing cuz he went from yeah. like hardcore badass wrestling to the family name. Like he's in family movies now. Yeah. If a woman were to do the reverse, go from like Melissa McCarthy and turn into this badass like Charlize Theron, it's near impossible, not near impossible. I mean, maybe it is near impossible, but it's like, it's not as often. 
No, it's it's almost never it's almost never. And I give another example, honestly, other than her going from these very gentle characters to Lorraine, I really can't. No, you like there's literally none. I mean, uh, the one that I think of and like she was so mistreated and I'm so angry at it. I'm still angry at Hollywood for doing what they did to her was Gina Davis. Gina Davis oh, is the I mean, she went I mean, now of course it didn't help that she married Rennie Harlan and they made they they made they made uh, Cutthroat Island which I actually I will defend. I really do like it. Um it is and that's a short movie. Yes. yes. I, I, it's a popcorn movie. Like you can't like it's on it's like okay, let's just do this. Let's watch it like for old time's sake. Exactly. But she's a genuine threat. I mean, like, like, yes. like, uh, she's a genuine threat in not only that movie, but I mean, one of my favorite action movies, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Like, that is that is a genuinely great action movie where she kicks ass. And I mean, we went from her in like these comedies. I mean, she won she she won Best Supporting Actress for a really particular like oddball role in the accidental tourist she makes that i mean she does the fly but then she wants to be this badass action hero and again the only way that she does it is because she's like she's producing the movie but that's the only other instance that i can really honestly think of of somebody who went from something as odd as like or not odd but as like as as different as comedy in the spectrum to action. Like, yes, of course we've had, um, we had Scarlett Johansson, but I mean, yeah. I think that for the most part, Scarlett Johansson has stayed in that kind of Marvel action realm now. Yeah, and she I just... can't see her doing too many like comedies. Honestly, I, I just see her as an action or more dramatic tone. I can't like, I wouldn't, I don't ever think I will see. And if I'm wrong, I would love to be wrong about this. Like, <laughs> with her where she is like I almost peed my pants I was laughing so hard Scarlett Johansson was hilarious like I don't see that from her and if I do I will be glad to change that statement but it's just it's typecasting it really is and also to bring up your point about executive producing I wonder then if and this goes across the whole spectrum of positions on a crew if women should be focusing more on, obviously they should be focusing on getting jobs in writing because that is the blueprint of a film. But if they should also like, like not strive, but continue to really fight for executive producing roles, because that seems to be where honestly it drives it home when it comes to an close to authentic or something different than the mom, grandma, aunt, teacher role that we see. I honestly think that that is the way that it has to be done. You have to develop your own content, like she's do, like Charlize Theron is doing. Yeah. Like, I mean, at a, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, and we kind of see it to a lesser degree with somebody like Reese Witherspoon, who has, yeah. like, you know, who was a light comedian for most of her career, and Big now, exactly, um, exactly, Big Little Lies. I mean, she she produced that. I mean, of course. Uh, it helped that like every actress in that helped chipped in and became a producer, but she's the one that found the the book and developed it um, because it was, it, it was just close enough to personality types that she's played that it would be easy for her to get that green lit um, yeah. with her in that role. But I think that it is the way to go. I think that, 
that for at least for me personally, like when I see what I see has happened and when women are able to shift and move in uh, in and out of different uh, different roles, it's always been where they've developed that content or they they are a force to be reckoned with. And I know that right now it's it's this really weird kind of dichotomy of like like um, one of our writers actually is talking about. One of our writers on the site is actually talking about uh, she's actually doing an ongoing series of women that have been labeled difficult. And at their core, the reason most of the time that these women have been labeled difficult is because they've tried to exert a sense of force into their own career and guided their career and not let. And that's something I've always wondered. Is it difficult because she's a difficult person to work with professionally? Is it personality or is it simply that some men feel threatened because, oh, if she could possibly do better than me, then I'm out of a job. And the thing is, I think it's all like I think everyone can fit into one of those categories. But I feel like there are some that maybe all three are a combination. And so I wonder truly if like if people are too afraid to admit, yeah, I'm intimidated by them. And that makes me have a little less pride in myself. But, you know, I'm just going to label them as difficult to work with. And then it really, like, even for me, like, I'll read that about someone. I'm like, wow, maybe I don't want to meet that famous person. Maybe I don't want to work with that person someday. But you don't know the reasoning behind it. No, exactly. And, and that's the thing. And, 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 and what's funny is, is that I feel like it's tied into this movie in a really weird way. Like how, like the story, like the story the way that the story is set up it almost feels like like going back to the gendered poli- the 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 gender politics and how um interesting it is that she's literally being debriefed but she's also being kind of accused of stuff that she's she she hasn't done and as she's yeah. telling her story it's very apparent that these guys are looking for a scapegoat for for what's happened and um and what i find interesting is that every like you know it's they're all males like everybody in like everybody that she comes in contact with with the exception of uh sofia botella's character was fantastic in that role by the way oh that's another she is she is an actress that i feel like i really want her to hit and hit big because she yeah. is so good at everything that she does but I also don't want her to get typecasted with roles like Kingsman and Atomic Blonde. I want to know if she can also do other genres. Yes. But at the same time, like, I love her and what she's done so far. Like, if you can do it strongly, by all means. But I also, like, that's the thing. I don't want, I don't want her to get typecast, but I feel like she might at the same time. But I still appreciate what she is possibly going to be typecast as because she just does a stellar job of it. She's such a physical force, and again, she comes from ballet. Like yeah, she's also oh, another. From what yes. I understand, yes. yeah, yeah, she's a, like, and again, another woman. I feel like has that that that's like kind of like almost like a mark against her. And I, what I loved is is that she takes she she took she took the role in uh she she had the role in Kingsman, and then she goes the complete opposite like similar but opposite in Star yeah. Trek Beyond and covers herself in makeup in, in Star Trek Beyond. And she's, but she still has that same physicality. And then it's this other role in Atomic Blonde, which is 
like I mean she's essentially she's essentially the love interest but she's also the she's also a fellow spy and it's almost like this whole like she plays it's interesting for me because I really like Brian De Palma and she feels like she comes right out of a Brian De Palma film um in a lot of ways um and uh, but she's just kind of like she comes in and she changes the dynamic and the chemistry in the film like quite literally like the moment she shows up her and uh, her and Charlize Theron have a different chemistry and it's not it like I know that some people would say that this like this movie gets exploitative in regards to the sex scenes and stuff like that and it kind of does but ultimately what I like about the relationship is is that it's a it's there's chemistry there but ultimately it's it's a different kind of relationship than you would see in a James Bond film yeah you, I feel like for me personally well because like digging more into it mm-hmm. apparently the whole um, bisexual subplot was not part of the original book that Atomic Blonde is based off of mm-hmm. so like added whether it was added for entertainment value whatever you want to call or define that is but um or if it's just like hey look at this we have a lesbian scene in our film you know or just genuinely show this new side of a female spy um what i found interesting is that when she's with her when the two of them are together it it's kind of like a mentorship in a way where there's like a learning yes um, a like learning curve. She's learning from Lorraine because she's mm-hmm. still like this bubbly, you know, still has hopes and dreams. So clearly she's new to the spy game. Um, at the same time, because of that bubbliness, because of that hopefulness and that youthness, I feel like it's also just a message of like, here's an experienced actress to someone who's becoming well known or still becoming well known to both um, international and, you know, just American audiences. I feel like this is also a way, Charlize, you know, it's just kind of like a comment of older actresses leading the younger and the newer into, okay, it's hard work. It is going to be hard work, and you are going to be rejected. The usual spiel that we all get in whatever artistic field we go into, especially mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just in a way that subtext, like, okay, you're going to be a spy. These are the things you're probably going to have to do. These are the things you're probably going to have to face. Are you sure you want this? And okay, if you do, I'm here for you. And because of that, I'm here from you, here for you. It's more of it's like love. It's like a there's a support there. And so I feel like that's different than James Bond and John Wick because there's more room for support because it's that although it's that maternalness to it, um, it's still there, but it's not quite like you're not watching your mom, so to speak. You're watching just a life lesson. Like, yes, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to do things that are going to haunt you or going to make you feel uncomfortable. But like, like you said with Reese Witherspoon, think about all the roles that she played and now look at the power she has, because maybe some of those roles weren't true to who she was. They still got her somewhere. No, absolutely. No, no, that definitely does. Um, it's uh, and your your kind of meta commentary on on the mentorship 
aspect of the relationship is something that I was trying to verbalize, but I couldn't. And I'm glad that you actually kind of were able to very, very much so acutely um, describe what what I was trying to get at, because it yeah, it has that one moment. But throughout it, you are right. It is very much so a, a mentorship, a, a, a heeding of warning, like Lorraine is constantly trying to say. Like you are going exactly, and not just with your soul, but with your life. And I mean, you know, uh, the things play out the way that they play out, uh, which was which uh, which is extremely interesting. You know, it could also be played as a commentary on on young actresses being swallowed up and spit out from Hollywood. Yeah. You know the the cautionary tales of um, uh, the one thing that I noticed this time that I completely forgot about is, and we're speaking about Big Little Lies of Alexander Skarsgård's brother, Bill Skarsgård, who plays. I I was I was like I was shocked because I was like, oh god, that's Pennywise. How how did I how did I miss that in 2016? Like how did I miss Bill Skarsgård in this movie? Like I I just he's a completely secondary character, not even probably a secondary character. I wouldn't even call him that. He's just he's probably got what like five minutes of screen time, and it's just like oh look how cute he is, and like like he's so resourceful, and he has like he's just an interesting character. But at the same time, you know, fast forward, and then you got this. Ugh, clowns and it's just it's so interesting because I feel like everyone in this film maybe with the exception of a few people really kind of like showed the other side of the coin in a way like they took on a role that was like it's just you're kind of like oh that's them like wow I did not know that they could do that absolutely Absolutely, like uh, like James McAvoy, like uh, like that that to me was the bet, like was the perfect bit of casting because I've always felt like behind his like like behind all of his goody two shoes, yeah, his yeah. goody two shoes exteriors and his Professor Xness, they're just like they're belied a huge asshole, like just a huge asshole that was just waiting to come out and play, and oh my god, like does he come good. out? Like when he was in Split, I was watching that with uh, my boyfriend, and we were. I've been watching it. I'm thinking that is not Mr. Tumnus. Like that is a whole new level. And although people come and go with the movie Split, like they either like it or they don't. What it's yeah. just, I've noticed, and I feel like that's with M. Night Shyamalan's most of his work. Um, it's it it just shows, and I think it kind of also ties in the theme of Atomic Blonde with loyalty and duality, like a prism. Mm-hmm. I feel like. That is like each character in this movie is a prism. Like they have many different sides and you're not sure which one, even when it's all revealed at the end, you're still not sure which one is like the right one. Like, okay. Like, okay. They clearly have done pulled the wool over the eyes of X, Y, and Z, but are we going to start back up at A again? Like, are they, are they even playing the people that they're loyal to? Like, it's just so, I think everyone in a way was just out of their, not out of their element, but like in a new element that we're, then we're used to seeing. And it's just enjoyable at that point. I think that's one of the appeals of the cast of this movie. Cause although I personally, when I saw the preview for it, um, maybe about five or six months or even earlier than that, cause I feel like they were advertising it for quite some time. The visuals caught me right away. And so did the soundtrack. But once you actually sit down and watch Atomic Blonde, it is truly the acting and the... You have to watch it a few times to really get it, but it's the dialogue and the scenarios and the plot that just kind of bring it all together. 
but that casting, it really is a unique choice. And it's a unique way to watch these actors who we all kind of have that one role we associate them with, um, first and foremost. And then it's like you watch this and you're like, wow, I did not know they could do that. No, absolutely. Like, I, I mean, I, I love the fact that these the, the casting is not your prototypical spy uh, movie casting. Like, you, you, I don't know anybody who would really cast John Goodman as the head of the CIA. Yeah. I really don't, honestly. <laughs> though he is such, like, I mean, you know, like, like to me, like, Roseanne, the BS with Roseanne. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you know, like he was always the dad like he was like like he was like one of those 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 tv dads that you look to and he's like warm and cuddly and you loved john uh, uh, you have the you, big lebowski and the no brother out thou but like still like your first and foremost like, he's like to me if you ask me to describe 1990s early like just basically the later part of the 20th century dad honestly i go to john goodman more before i would go to like danny tanner from full house exactly I, that too i go to john goodman absolutely and here he is playing like you know this no nonsense uh director of the the cia which is which is fantastic it's just like and then like you know how he ends like how the puzzles all uh, all put together at the end is just fantastic and his last line is just to me it's it's the like uh it's the best part it's the the cherry on top of the sundae like he just kind of looks like like when he says what he says and i'm just like you know because it's it's one of those films like ultimately that i'm not like we were talking about we're not going to ruin it but it's it's ultimately a movie that after you see it you're like okay i need a couple of days but i really really want to rewatch this to see how the clockwork is is done and how it's made because it does have that rewatchability for the story as much as it does for the action um which again like we cannot i mean i cannot say it enough the how how amazing this action is it's just beautiful and elegant like a ballet yes absolutely i well and i think that comes from david being i mean i he did the stunts for several x-men films the born series 300 dukes of even dukes of hazard and the matrix like he had a role in those so I feel like that's just another proof of like going from one field of film into a director or more, I would say, in charge role of any form is that you have an understanding and then it shows. And it's just, I mean, you watch and you're kind of like, wow, this, it, it's gorgeous. Because also, I feel like due to his experience as a stuntman and working with stunts, he was able to not only prepare Charlie's, but like, like you said, it's elegant. It's like a ballet. You don't, it's very clean. Although there's blood and, you know, obviously people are dying and it's graphic in certain ways for some people more than others. uh, It's just, you can't look at it and think, wow, that's art. Like he clearly knows physicality. He clearly knows the limits that people can be pushed and he knows just how to push them. So it's not like full on like dime a dozen action movies where, okay, he's going to throw a punch, he's going to throw a kick, blah, blah, blah. Like, there is this grace to it. It really is a dance. No, you're you're absolutely right. It's, it, like, when I see Atomic, like, when I watch Atomic Blonde, that's the, to me, that that is the prime example of why we need a an Academy Award for stunt coordination. Yeah. We just absolutely do. Because 
that isn't like you saying it's an art it's it's not just it's not just a cool parlor trick and like visually it's astounding i mean you can go and look back in the history of film of all stunts all the way back to the silent era to the asian influence in the 90s which was insane you know obviously with them with bruce lee in the 70s you're just kind of like like i why is there not an award or i wonder are there actual like awards for stunt coordinators just in general i mean i'm sure they have like associations and they give out some summer sort of prize or award or recognition but the fact that it's still taking it's such a skill and an art and i want to say medical like it is truly a full anatomical like process that it does not get enough recognition as it does no, absolutely. And uh, yes, uh, to answer your question, um, it's called the Taurus Awards. Okay. Um, they are for the, um, they're, they're recognized as the World Stunt Awards, uh, World Stunt Org- Organization, uh, started by a group of uh, fellow stunt people, um, uh, stunt coordinators, second unit directors um, that every year get together and, um, and create uh, and do um, like these these awards and i think that they started in 2016 but they really started to get pr late. that is way yeah. too late i'm sorry it's beautiful and i'm glad they're doing it but that is way too late oh two- yes that is no i i understand why but at the same well it goes back to like you said with women in executive producer awards make your own content if you don't see a need fill it like clearly these people did and that's a whole nother podcast but like yeah, 2016. Although I'm glad it's happening, I feel like a lot of things are happening a little too late. No, it always, it, and that's it, the that's the problem is that you you have this like Hollywood is always really slow to change anything. Like it, it it's always ten years too late on something. I mean, I, I mean, all you have to do is look at Vanilla Ice. I mean, <laughs> you know, three years oh. too late. Cool as Ice should have came out three years before it did. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Um, and but it's uh, yeah i mean it, it's when stunts are done correctly like and that's the thing that i always try to like i try like as an action fan i try to impart on other action fans that maybe are just like into action and not really looking at the art of it which is is that ultimately to me like there's a difference between what's what's going on in atomic blonde and say um uh, something as pedestrian as like say I mean I hate to say it but the the Fast and Furious films like oh yeah I can tell like I can like there is a, a strict delineation because Atomic Blonde there's an art to the action because there are people in, like the stars are involved in it and there's a grace to it and the camera moves with purpose and the action scenes are built around purpose and with the exception of i can think of only one um one uh fast and furious movie everything else is very to me is very pedestrian it doesn't it doesn't lift itself up and make it something special like even something like as we've like uh, this summer um another spy movie is coming out like like a series that i did not like at first but i've grown to love which is the mission impossible series um those are like like point in fact even if you don't like tom cruise like my girlfriend does does not like tom cruise but we've gotten into the point now where we're we're going in and we're watching them and she can appreciate 
Cruz as a stunt person and the yeah. death defying act that he's he's doing. And that's art to me, the, like hanging off the that super high building in Dubai because there's a reason for it is what I love in in action. And I think that's like also with like as much as I and I generally do enjoy them. Um, not my favorite movies, but I definitely enjoy them. Like Expendables, the whole series. Like you know, walking in, it's going to be what it's going to have action wise, just because of who is casted in it. But mm-hmm. also, I think it has to just do. I wonder if it has to do with just either a masculine or feminine approach, or both, or mm-hmm. no consideration for it at all and just going neutral. Or, like you said, if there's a reason for it, or if it's just like, hey, come watch an hour and 30 minutes of someone kicking someone's ass as stylistically as possible with no rhyme or reason at all. And although I do have those movies that are like that that I do enjoy, I mean, as much as the next person, it's like, I agree, like, I want there to be a reason. Like, And I feel, obviously, in Atomic Bond, there are plenty of reasons as to why she's doing what she's doing. And I'm sure there are reasons, like in John Wick, there's always a reason, but I feel like it has to depend on the severity of the reason, too. No, you absolutely are right. And, um, like, uh, John Woo has always described um, uh, his movies as ballets and yeah. or musicals, where his movies, the way that he puts it is that, and, and it feels like this dictum was put into Atomic Blonde, where the emotions rise so much that there's no other way to express yourself except through physical force. Yeah. And, and I, I guess because of the way, like, like, and this is where in lies like my thing with action films, which is, is that um, like, I have very, I have very specific taste when it comes to action films, because it's really like, after you watch hundreds of them, you become very clear and very aware of the ones that are just that are just there to just sit there and be big explosions on the screen. And there's there's the ones that are actually purposely telling a story. And that's yeah. wherein lies. I think that people don't articulate it enough how much action can be art. And part of the art is trying to find a way to integrate story and action. And I feel like like over the last couple of years, Atomic Blonde is one of those things that I hold in a really high regard because it does it so beautifully and it adds a multiple layers that are just be- beyond the story like we've been talking about. And um, I-, I mean, this is the kind of movie where you tell me that she's been training for five years and the script has been developed for five years and it doesn't shock me because it's all the proof is in the pudding. Like it's a very well constructed film. Um I was wondering, what do you feel like? Okay, so, the, it was recently it was recently announced by uh, Charlize Theron that they're, that they're actively working on a script, and they're hoping to have something by next year and move uh, move forward with um, the sequel that they had already kind of pre planned. Like they knew she knew that she had at least three or four stories that she'd love to tell. Um, what would you like to see in a sequel, if you even want a sequel at all? See, I, the thing about sequels, the thing about series is that I feel like, and this goes to like Eli Roth, he doesn't, he's <laughs> been saying, I do love Eli Roth, I won't lie, I, again, I'm Glorious Bastards, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to have um, to have you I'll write have about Death Wish, I'm going to have, if you've written, have you watched Death Wish, I'd love to hear, I'd love yet. to have you write. I need to though, it's like a, definitely one of my priorities. For what I love okay. about Eli Roth is that he's like, I will do two movies 
or not that many in a series, but after the third, like, I won't do a third one. Mm-hmm. I will not, because I do believe everything has a cutoff point. You just have to be smart enough to know when it is. Um, I, although I would love to see more of Lorraine, I feel like it would have to really, to follow up Atomic Blonde, mm-hmm. it would have to be just it would literally have to be just right i don't know exactly what kind of plot i would want to see just because the way atomic blonde ends it's kind of you have to watch it a few times depending on what kind of viewer you are it's so in a way finalized because now that you kind of know the truth i feel like anything past this point might be a little too What's the word? I, I want to say like written for like, okay, it's like, it's not as, it's like forced in a way. Um, okay. I would, be, I would totally be open to seeing another one by all means, but I don't, it would have to be just right for me because now that I know who she is and what she really does, um, yeah, it would have to be, it would have to really blow my mind for me to accept it. I would see it, but I don't know what I would go in thinking wise. Okay, no, that's good. I I like um, I like the fact that you're hesitant about a sequel. Like like so often, so many people are like, "Yes, give me the sequel, give me the sequel." And I've been and actually honestly where that has actually been pulled off. Like I will totally agree that up until the third one, honestly, Toy Story. That's all I'm gonna say. Those were the sequel was actually pretty good. Like I enjoyed yeah. it, but. Yeah, I think it's 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 touch and go for me. Touch and go. <laughs> um, yeah. The reason why I ask is because it's really interesting to me that uh, Wonder Woman is set in the '80s, and essentially, like to me, it feels like I'm like, oh, they're kind of they're kind of uh, copying Atomic Blonde in this kind of like it feels like that's what what they're gonna do because they're doing a Cold War thriller. Um, I kind of like my hope is that. Like what you were saying is kind of like leads into what I would hope that they would do, which is consequences for l- what Lorraine has done. Like if yeah. you're going to do a movie, you're going to do like for me, it's like, OK, let's make it about the consequences of her actions of. OK, so now at this point, let's go ahead and just say I'm going to say spoilers. We're going to stay quiet for a couple of seconds and then you guys can skip ahead about say two or three minutes um because i don't want to ruin the movie for you guys but if you want to listen to this conversation because it has to do with that um we're gonna go ahead and do that right now you've been warned all right so i feel like because she's a quadruple agent that it would set up this thing of lorraine being accountable for for what she's done because i mean ultimately she's she has to answer to somebody exactly <laughs> she's she screwed the K- kgb um stasi which is the german uh the german secret police she's uh, she's screwed over mi6 and only person that has that has her back which may not even have her back is the cia so she's managed to like you know screw around or screw over multiple agencies that are all gonna want blood and i feel like that would be a really interesting setup if you set it say four years in the future and you're like if you set it four years in the future you're in 92 if you're in 92 you're you're right smack dad in the gulf war 
And that would be supremely interesting to me. A sun-washed, war-torn, like, spy film in the way that this is a spy film, but done completely differently. Yes. What I was going to say is, or what if they all go after her? Like, all sides. Like, it's not just, like, she can rely on the U.S. and Germany compared to the KGB. Like, she just um, completely is alone. And that would be interesting. Survive. Now that would be interesting. I yeah. hopefully it'd be you know constructed well and produced well and you know written well. But at the same time, it's just like I feel like there's only so many routes they could possibly take. It would just depend on who, which route can be a, something we haven't seen in a while, and then also is tailored well for who she is as a character. Because I think that needs to be taken into consideration. It's not just the elements around her, but the character themselves. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I feel a hundred percent that way. Like because of how ingrained her character was into the story and how much it was a journey for her as well as uh, like, you know, a, a story that it would have to have that kind of level of, of detail. And hopefully like my hope is, is that, that because they've been working on this so long, uh, they they worked on the initial development of this series or this this films for so long that they have that kind of framework because I know with John Wick ultimately they developed it as they they developed it and presented it to Keanu Reeves as a package like it was yeah. three films and it was all it was all one it was an escalation and it was telling three like it was told in three movements and so what my hope is is that like they've done something simple like Charlize has done something similar and has had the foresight to make like sure she's been debriefed exactly exactly so um but I'm I'm cautiously excited for, for yes, it I agree with that I I feel like I'm the same way and that goes for any series any genre any actor any actress Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to sequels. Like, um, I've, I've gotten like, <laughs> it's something that I don't talk a lot about. Um, I, I've gotten the Marvelitis, um, oh, because, okay. because it's the ongoing adventures of, you know, a three hour tour. Um, and it's just, was just one of those things where it's just like, I've kind of gotten, I've gotten very fatigued with that. And so I find it a very pleasant surprise when I get a one-off like, something like atomic blonde uh but i also get very scared because i know that this is a movie making that this is a money making industry so we all know yeah. that ultimately they're going to they're going to want to make more money and this movie is to me it's the very definition of a sleeper it made just enough money to be profitable but not everybody went to go see it. Everybody was busy going to see Baby Driver and yeah. all the rest of the movies in 2016. And they kind of sat on it. But I've, like, over the last, I say, month or so, as I started talking to friends about it, I've seen this really weird uptick in people actually seeing it. And, like, people just going, hey, you know what? I, I saw that Atomic Blonde movie that you told me about. Really freaking good. And I'm like, exactly, right? They're like, it kind of reminded me of John Wick. I'm like, oh, God, no, it's not John. Okay, yes, it's from the one of the directors. Oh, that's awesome. I really love it. I've seen it, like, three times. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so it's like, it's one of those things where I'm finding that more and more people are slowly finding it. 
and it's becoming like this i hate to use the word cult thing because it's not really a cult thing it's a majorly produced action film but people are finding it there's something like i feel like cult is a good name for it for now until we think of something better because i it definitely gives it definitely has certain elements that i feel kind of go with cult classics in general like it has a gradual following but yeah i i don't think that i agree it's like it's the word we can just use for now yes exactly i almost want to call it a sleeper like it's 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 like people have slept on it and now they're waking up to it something like that you know i know i had to watch it twice um i saw it when it was in theaters and i saw it a few weeks ago for this podcast and i you know i noticed things and like i i I definitely think it's one of those films where you need to see it once or definitely twice maybe three times before you truly get every little nuance of either the plot or the visuals and once you do you've got it like you understand it right away and it's like oh that makes sense it's an aha moment but i definitely agree it's one you have to sleep on yes absolutely um think that's about uh, that about does it um did you have anything else that you you felt like an urge to talk about with atomic blonde oh i could go on and on about the aesthetics <laughs> i really could i'm a visual person like uh like i said when i saw the previews and other than the soundtrack it was those visuals but that's for another time another podcast and uh hopefully maybe we'll get to do that but yeah i'm actually i think my last comment is basically just Charlize, keep doing what you're doing. Women in film, any group that feels like a minority that is seen as a minority, just keep doing what you're doing. That is all I want as a viewer, as a uh, film content writer, as a person. Just keep doing what you're doing. That is a perfect way to end the podcast. Um, Where can people reach you on social media? Um, I have Twitter. I have Instagram. Unfortunately, right now, I cannot name them off the top of my head, but I will include them in posts if able. And um, basically, if you probably just go to Movie Isles uh, Twitter account or Instagram, you can find me there, Olivia Mo. I believe it's Olivia KM7. Um, follow me. I would also love to have open discussion about anything in film. If you have any questions, I'll about anything in film i would like to explore them with you so by all means find me absolutely uh, please do she's uh she's going to be starting up writing fairly soon so you guys going to start start seeing her posts um uh, i'm really excited for you guys to actually read read her writing i think that um i get excited like olivia i uh, not to wax your car, but I'm gonna wax your car. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, when I when I read Olivia's samples of uh, of her writing, I instantly knew that this she was gonna be somebody that was gonna be a perfect fit for our website. So I'm really excited to have her on um, as a writer, and uh, she will eventually be starting her. I think she'll be eventually starting her own podcast um, as we move forward uh, with this venture. And you'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, Definitely could- in the world. We're definitely working on something. Absolutely. You can reach um, the B-Movie Isle, or I'm sorry, the B-Movie Podcast. You can actually reach on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. The handle for it is uh, B-Movie Pod for all three of them. The letter B, the word movie, the word pod. No lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Just B-Movie Pod. Um, you 
I would behoove you to actually go ahead and follow us on uh, Letterboxd because we have our ongoing list of movies that we're covering and I always post the newest ones uh, or the ones that are going to be coming up in the next week um, in advance. So right now you could literally go on, sign up for uh, like, you know, go on to Letterboxd, add me on and you can actually see what we're talking about next week because next week we start a brand new series on America. And I'm not going to tell you what exactly we're going to be talking about over the next month with America, but it needless to say, it's going to be an interesting point of view um, with each of the double features that we're going to be talking about. So you'll have to actually take a look at those two films to kind of get an idea of how we're going to go about talking about America as a whole. Uh, so with that, guys, um, I just like to thank you guys again, like I always do. Your listenership is the lifeblood for this podcast. We don't have a Patreon because we just feel that extra episodes are should be given to you. You don't have to pay us to do this. Um, maybe at a certain point we will have we will have a Patreon, but at this point, all the exclusive, all the additional content that you get, all of the podcasts that you get are done out of love and passion and the uh, feedback that you guys give us. So with that, guys, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon.